This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Honan, providing a complete range of insurance, risk, and financial solutions. Bundy's called me up, told me to take a look, but stay stubborn as bulls and talk their own book. Get the money, get the money, get, get the money. Hi, I'm Chris Judd. Thanks for tuning in to Talk Your Book, and today we're very lucky to be joined by Dean Cerrone from Merkle Tree Capital. Dean, thanks very much for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me back on, Chris. Now, the topic you wanted to talk through today was, uh, was Ethereum. And, uh, and some of the recent upgrades they'd have. But maybe I thought we could start by the, the helicopter view or, or in broad brushstrokes, how do you describe the difference between Ethereum and Bitcoin when, when people inquire? Yeah, so Bitcoin started out in 2009 uh, by pseudonymous uh, founder uh, Satoshi. And his vision was quite, quite deliberate and focused. It was on creating a decentralized alternative to the banking and finance system. And, um, and, and fast forward six years, uh, Vitalik um, Buterin, who's the founder of Ethereum, he, he looked at it with a very different lens. And it's an interesting uh, story, actually. He used to be a, a big gamer and he used to play World of Warcraft a lot. And he spent many years building up his, his character in World of Warcraft. And then, and then one day, randomly out of the blue, Blizzard, the producer of World of Warcraft, actually downgraded his character on him. Um, um, and he, he had no understanding of why that happened. He, he could never get an explanation and, and to this day does not know why that occurred. And so that put a bit of fire in his belly to, to, to sort of solve some of these um, constraints in the centralized world where, where things can happen with, with no explanation and totally out of your control. And, and he went on a, on a mission to, to architect and design um, a, a decentralized uh, software platform, if you like, that could allow different sorts of use cases beyond just you know, finance to play out on the blockchain. So he launched Ethereum in 2015 and, and uh, the, the difference you know, in the simplest um, level with Ethereum is that it allows uh, code to be executed on the blockchain, which enables use cases like gaming, social media, um, NFTs, um, you know, messaging, and, and, and decentralized finance to all um, happen on that blockchain. And Ethereum's recently gone through its Chappella upgrade. Uh, explain to us what that means and, and what the implications are for Ethereum. Yeah, so September last year, the merge happened, and this was a huge architectural shift for Ethereum, where it went from proof of work, which is running the blockchain using hardware mining, um, to proof of stake, which is um, quite a different uh, structure and allows holders of Ethereum to stake their Ethereum and actually earn a, earn a yield on it. So and maybe just, but just sorry to interrupt, maybe just explain for, for viewers not familiar with the difference between proof of work that, that Bitcoin currently runs on and, and proof of stake that ETH's moved to. Sure, so, so with Bitcoin, um, running proof of work is, in a physical sense, it's, it's warehouses full of mining equipment, hardware mining equipment that are competing to solve um, algorithms, um, which, is, which is part of the core infrastructure that, that maintains and operates the blockchain. So it's quite energy intensive. Proof of stake, however, is a process where own, owning the asset of the Ethereum blockchain, you actually lock that asset up and you delegate it to a validator node, which is, which is a new way of running that blockchain, less energy intensive, and it has a range of other benefits as, as well, and, and including um, offering some huge um, benefits to scaling and performance. And so there's sort of the, the bull case for proof of work is, it's got some interesting implications around um, 
renewable energy and, and uh, what you can do with the grid and things like that with mining. And it's also highly decentralized when you compare it to, to proof of stake. Uh, proof of stake, large stakers are gonna increase their uh, stake or, or power over the protocol as time goes on and potentially over a long enough time period could lead to more centralization than a proof of work system, but it uses way less energy in, in a world that's that's short of energy in many ways at the minute. Is that sort of how the bulls and bears would frame the, the two big differences between the two? Yeah, Bitcoin's um, the most decentralized platform has been around for such a long time and has, has never been hacked. So the security around its protocol and the way it's operating is, is very sound, um, but it does have huge detractions. It's decentralization is a benefit. Um, but there's there's many downsides, and that's not only just performance, but also the the, the energy intensive nature of running the blockchain. And there's, there's they're trying to solve that now. But we look at Ethereum and staking, and there are some um, there are some some sort of proponents talking about it becoming more centralised as a result of staking, which which is true because you can use some centralised services to to stake through. Um, however, there's some incentive structures being put in place with Ethereum that actually incentivise people to to stake on on you know, on multiple nodes to actually increase the decentralization of the network. So there is a big push to, to move to a proof of stake model that, that we have in place, but increase decentralization of it. And I interrupted you when you were getting going, but so the, the, in terms of the staking, what were the implications to Ethereum staking post this Chappella upgrade? Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, with proof of work, the, the miners on, on Ethereum were being rewarded at around 10,000 Ethereum a day to run that service. Now with proof of stake, the, the rewards going to stakers are just a fraction of that. It's it's a, around a thousand Ethereum a day. So, what that means is the new supply that's entering um, entering the ecosystem on a daily or, or an annual basis is significantly less. And last year we also saw a very interesting up, upgrade, which actually burns the transaction fees that occur on the network. And and so as part of this this recent upgrade, we're seeing a, a reduced supply. And, and with the increase in traffic, we're seeing an, an increase in the amount that's being burned on a daily basis. So the, the economics has actually shifted where Ethereum was previously inflationary. The supply on a daily basis is now, is now reducing of Ethereum. So we're, we're, I think there's around 120 million um, Ethereum in circulation at the moment, and it's actually reducing by almost half a percent per annum at the moment. And, and we expect that to increase over time as network activity increases um, and, and, and we see more global adoption of the platform, which is it's a very interesting dynamic. So you can earn a yield on Ethereum, which is interesting and, and um, supply is decreasing and, and it's a greener platform now. So there's, there's many, um, you know, qu quite, um, you know, pr pr preferred sort of um, elements to the network now. And the early stakers were, were locked in, were unable to move uh, their, their tokens that had been staked, but now they're free to unstake them, albeit there's a bit of a lag between making that call and actually getting access to the, the tokens. What do you think will be the implication um, on ETH staking post that? I mean, and, and perhaps, I mean, very hard to predict price of any asset, let alone one as volatile as, as crypto, but, but what's your gut feel on, on where, what the implications could be for those two things? been quite interesting. So up until the, the recent upgrade that occurred, um, you, you could actually stake your Ethereum, but you couldn't actually access the Ethereum or withdraw the rewards. Um, so that was that was limiting the amount of people that were staking. A lot of people weren't comfortable with the duration risk of, of having their assets locked up and not accessible. Particularly in such a volatile asset, don't you think? Like if you don't have access to something and it's really safe and stable and boring is one thing. Not having access or be able to sell 
an, an asset as volatile as crypto is, is problematic for a lot of different types of investors, I would have thought. Yeah, and when we saw this upgrade just happen recently where you can actually now withdraw your Ethereum and, and your rewards, um, a lot of the, the initial investors that did lock up their assets, um, they're still underwater because we had such a challenging market uh, last year in digital assets. And, and so a lot of those, those investors are not actually unstaking those assets right now. They're going to leave them in there until the, the growth of the asset actually um, you know, gives them a better, a better result. One of the interesting um, services that was put in place through the recent period is liquid staking. So this is an interesting concept where um, you can lock up your Ethereum and earn the 4.5% yield, but other than that, your, your asset is not accessible or, or cannot be put to use. So um, there's many services provider, providers out there that are providing a one-to-one -one derivative uh, type uh, token on that locked up asset which you can then put to use elsewhere. For example, uh, using that, um, that derivative token to uh, put into a liquidity pool and earn protocol fees off or, or even use it as collateral against a loan. So this allowed people to access their Ethereum and use it while it was still being staked and, and locked in a smart contract um, to earn that yield. So it's a very interesting concept. Um, that's still happening after the upgrade. Um, there's still this concept of liquid staking that will, will continue and potentially grow. Um, it just allows investors more flexibility with their, uh, their assets. And so that's protocols like Lido, they're the big sort of 600 pound gorilla in the room. Yeah, um, yeah. There, so that I mean, even as we sit here today, that's still very much got utility because there is a lag between choosing to unstake your ETH and actually having access to those coins. Is that going to be around forever? In two years' time, will there still be that lag? Yeah, there will be because it allows investors to actually earn um, yield on the asset via staking and earn other yields using the, the derivative or the synthetic asset elsewhere as well. So there's some upside to be had outside of the, the staking. So I think staking, uh, liquid staking platforms um, probably have a pretty bright, bright future, I think. So that's what I'm saying. So in two years time, if you've staked your ETH, not in a liquid staking protocol, and you choose to unstake it, you won't have access to it right away or the next day. Is that right? Uh, since the recent um, Shanghai um, Chappella upgrade, you, you actually can withdraw your locked ETH at, at any stage. There'll be a short wait period, but it's it's accessible now. So will that cannibalize, but you don't think that will cannibalize the liquid staking protocols? I, I, I don't because what you can actually do with liquid staking is, is essentially earn multiples at the same time on that, that same asset. Yeah, okay, yeah. It's fascinating. So I mean, this is very much, for education purposes, there's, there's no financial advice given here, but when family and friends do ask you, you know, how do you go about staking your ETH, custodying it, um, those sort of basic questions that, that, that come up for people that haven't had much experience in crypto, what, what's, what are the answers that you, that you give them? Okay, so um, if you wanted to buy some ETH um, and, and stake it to earn some yield, uh, there's, a, there's a range of ways you can do it. The simplest way is to, to go to an exchange, purchase, purchase some ETH off the exchange, um, once you have ownership of that asset, you can stake it via a liquid staking platform, an exchange which has counterparty risk, or you could use your own wallet. And, and so using your own wallet is, is, is the safest way of doing it because you don't have that counterparty risk, but you are exposed to self-custody risk now. So with digital assets, obviously, uh, you, you're responsible for your own keys and, and all the operational risks associated with that. Um, 
So that, that is a, a, a great way to do it. You, you get all the, the, the reward um, if you do it yourself uh, versus doing it via an exchange where there will be a, a fee charged on that service. Um, another alternative would be to, to use a, a fund or a, a platform like ours, which is, which is what we have at Merkle Tree is an institutional grade custody and staking relationship in place, which is insured. And what we do is we stake assets that support that via our, our, our portfolio and our, and our platform. And we take that problem away from, from investors so they can um, have peace of mind knowing that their assets are being, are being staked and are safe without having to worry about the, the custody and, and the operational risk associated with that. And as soon as people tune in and they hear it's, it, it's an episode on crypto, there's, there's a percentage of people that are just outraged that, that anyone's still talking about it, such is the passion that it, it can evoke. But it is worth noting that the vast majority of failures in this space have been through those centralised exchanges and, and centralised bodies. By and large, DeFi protocols, whilst some have been hacked, uh, have held up much better than, um, than the centralised exchanges. Is that fair? Yeah, it's been fascinating uh, more recently with obviously the FTX issues late last year and also uh, some of the banking crisis um, sort of issues that we've seen in the States with Silicon Valley Bank, where these are all as a result of centralization and, and poor risk management. And so decentralized protocols, uh, the, the good ones, um, you know, the code is audited, it's well designed, it's, it's all very transparent. So you do, as long as, as long as you pay attention and you do your research, you, you do know what you, you're getting into and it's, um, it's all there. So um, more recently, it's, it's been fascinating to see Bitcoin and cryptocurrency hold up very well um, on the back of the banking crisis in the States where it's, it's, it's seen as a, as a hedge or a mitigation against some of the centralization um, issues that, that um, exist in the banking system. We'll continue to watch and continue to learn, but thanks very much for, for coming back on the show and, and sharing the, the, um, the Chappelle upgrade and everything else, Ethereum. Thanks, Dane. Nice chatting, Chris. Cheers. This episode of Talk Your Book was proudly brought to you by Honan, who go beyond a transactional insurance broker to deliver better outcomes for their clients. If you're enjoying Talk Your Book, make sure you subscribe to Chris Judd Invest.